0: Welcome to the Pulse of St. Louis, I'm Shirley Washington. Tonight, we take a closer look at the HPV vaccine. You know, recommendations for who should get that vaccine is changing. For years, doctors have recommended everyone between the ages of 9 and 26 get the HPV vaccine, but now there's a new recommendation. If you are 45 years old or younger, you are encouraged to get vaccinated. Joining me now, Sarah Collier. She is a mom. Her two children were vaccinated. Dr. Timothy Lackey, he's a pediatrician at SSM Health Health Medical Group, and Dr. Scott Lieberman, he is an OBGYN with SSM Health Medical Group. Thank you all so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Let's start the conversation talking about what exactly is the HPV um, vaccine. Dr. Lackey.
1: Uh, the HPV vaccine is a vaccine that helps for um, the HPV virus, which there are 150 types of the HPV um, Uh, virus which causes types of warts. Um, The problem with that particular um, wart is that some of those warts can turn into other things. So they can uh, turn into cancers, um, specifically uh, cervical cancer, um, anal and penile cancers, and also head and neck cancers.
0: So Dr. Lieberman, why the change? Why the change for the recommendation in terms of who should get this vaccine?
2: Well the virus, uh, I'm sorry, the vaccine is very successful and I think there's was realization that we're trying to catch kids as they're younger before they're sexually active to get them vaccinated, and they found that there's a lot of benefit for people older than that that have not had the vaccine. So even if they've been exposed to HPV, uh, by age 50, the rate of exposure is about 8 out of 10 people have been exposed to HPV. Uh, but by giving the vaccine to people from 26 to 45 years old, we can actually help prevent cancers in them as well.
0: So if you're 45 and you haven't had the vaccine, is it too late for you then? Or
2: No, it's not no. too late, but there's, you know, a limited window. The bigger problem right now is that we don't have a lot of insurance coverage between the 26 and 45-year-old range, so we really haven't started vaccinating adults yet, uh, but it is, it is going to be a recommendation.
0: Sarah, your two children were vaccinated. Tell me at what age were they vaccinated, and then why did you feel that it was important to do so?
3: I have two children, a, a daughter and a son, and yes, we both we vaccinated both of them. It's very important to us. They were around 11, 12 when we had them vaccinated. Um, HPV, as the doctors have said, caused several types of cancer. As a mom, I felt I would just be devastated if later on in life the children, one of them developed a cancer that I knew could have been prevented. Is there a history of cancer in your family? No. No, it's just knowing what we know now about the, about the HPV virus. If we can prevent it, then I'm all for it. So Dr. Lackey, let's talk numbers. How many people in the country
0: actually has this, do you know?
1: Uh, there are about uh, 80 million people in uh, the United States that have HPV. Um, so it is a, a huge number, and it's really a virus that almost everybody will get. So it's not just um, low numbers. Now, not everybody is going to get cancer from that. Um, most, of our, most of the time, our immune system will take care of the HPV. The problem is that we don't know who that's going to happen to. Um, So it's really important to get high vaccine coverage. Um, So right now in the United States, it's somewhere between 50 and 60 percent. Some states are better, some states are worse. Missouri is one of the uh, places where we don't have as good a coverage. Our coverage is only right around 40 percent. So there are lots of people out there that are susceptible to this particular virus. So it's very important that we get kids when they're young because their immune system works good and the advantage, and I always tell the uh, 11 and 12 year olds, one of the big things is that if you get it under 15, you only get two shots. If you get it over 15, you have to get three shots. Oh. Uh, so <laughs> they, they are very happy to save, the, uh, save a shot.
0: And, and that's another question that I want to ask about. Is it a series of shots? And then how long do you get the shots?
1: So um, if you're under um, 15, uh, it's a series of two. So you get one and they have to be at least six months apart. So we try to, the AEP recommendation and the CDC and all of the governing bodies are really trying to push to get it done by 12. Um, so we start at 11, which is actually a good thing for us because that's when you get your other uh, teenage vaccines. So you get your other two vaccines at that time. So it's a good time because people are ready for shots. They're coming into the office. You know, if you're getting two, what's three? Um, so that that um, that's a good time for us to get it in. So we try to get one at 11, one at 12. If they're in for a flu shot in the fall, we get that second one. It has to be at least six months Um, difference but you know that way you're coming in for your regular checkups it's not something you have to come in extra for you're just getting it as your routine series and we found that um, we started doing that maybe about a year ago Um, we found that our rates went from the uh, like high 20s um, up into the 40s already so we're really uh, happy that we've had that increase
0: Dr. Lieberman, give us a sense of what exactly this virus do. How does it impact the body beyond causing cancer which is severe
1: obviously. Right.
2: So the virus, about 14 million people a year get exposed to the HPV virus and I said before about eight in ten people by adulthood have been exposed um, and it causes infections. It causes uh, infections in uh, vaginal area, penal area, anal, oropharynx, all those cancers. Typically what we used to see a lot of uh, was two of the strains that are in the shot. The shot has nine different strains of the virus in it, by the way. Type 6 and 11 would cause genital warts. Um, we used to see a lot of that. Very uncomfortable for patients, um, not something really nice to have, and uh, we would treat those. We don't see a lot of that anymore. But outside of the genital warts, um, it can lead to abnormal pap smears in women, which lead up to, if untreated, cervical cancer. But the cancers that we also see, that there's a reduction with the, the vaccination. Um, are vulvar, vaginal, cervical uh, penile in men, anal in men and women, and head and neck cancers in men and women, so significant reduction. Most of those, in, unless there's changes in the cells, there's no really symptoms of the the infection at all.
0: That was my question. What are the symptoms and what are the signs? I mean, if, so if you don't know, you just walk around the ill and not know it?
2: Unless someone develops genital warts, there's no signs.
0: Oh, my gosh. So I understand, Sarah. why that's reason to be alarmed Absolutely. especially as a parent mm-hmm. so what
3: was your children's reaction after they got the shot I mean did they experience any side effects or anything they didn't and I was actually worried about that uh, I talked to my physician about what are the side effects what are the risks and we just talked through and through that discussion I felt very comfortable that the any benefits or any risks um, that we would associate with the injection totally outweighed uh, you know the benefits outweigh those risks.
0: Right so that's important you said you talked with your I physician. Did. So what kinds of questions did you ask? Because sometimes
3: parents don't know. Right. It, are they the right age? I think a lot of parents are worried about well my child is only 11 they're not sexually active do they really need this vaccine? Um, is it safe to give? What are the side effects? Or is there long-term ramifications? I think we were discussing earlier that some parents fe- find that um, you know some research that they've gone through, probably not a credible source, think that it causes infertility. And those are just myths. Um, so talk to your physician, find out the truth, and um, make an informed decision.
0: Dr. Lackey, what are some of the other myths surrounding this vaccine?
1: Uh, well, um, infertility, we have um, people that are worried that it's a permission slip um, to have sex. So um, it's certainly not a permission slip. and. We're giving it to 11- and 12-year-old um, kids that are getting it. With it. They don't also ask us what their um, diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis is, and they also don't ask us what their um, meningitis is. Um, if, you, if they ask me, I tell them um, what the diseases are, and certainly when I say, um, you know, this is a vaccine that we want to give you to prevent cancer in the future, and most of them say, I would like that,
0: (laughs) thank thank you very much, I I, I would like to
1: not have cancer um, in the future. Um, Some people um, also think that um, it causes uh, fainting, which we do see a lot of uh, children um, pass out. They get they get a little worked up with their vaccines.
0: But is that but because of the vaccine?
1: It's just because they're worked up. Oh, um, so <laughs> and, and, it, and it doesn't no. make it doesn't make any difference um, whether it's you know the HPV. We get people that pass out when we draw a little blood. You know, do a little finger stick, or um, and I do have patients that you know say you know I get lightheaded with needles. Okay, well you're getting your shot laying down.
0: Um, <laughs> right. So
1: and when you're not lightheaded,
2: then you can yeah. get up.
0: Um, <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, Dr. Lieberman, you chimed in right away. It's like, no, it, it does
2: not. Yes, yeah, it does not make. There, there was what we were talking oh. earlier. There was almost a hysteria when the shot first came out about kids fainting from it. Mm-hmm. And initially, when it came out, it was only given to 9 to 26 uh, year old women or young girls. And you know, a lot of young girls in that age group, teenage girls, would would get the shot. And as, as Dr. Lackey was saying, you know, get lightheaded, dizzy, or faint. There was even some questions about asking the FDA if the vaccine was safe. It's completely safe. And It was more of just a reaction that teenagers tend to have when they get shots or injections.
0: So you said that it is safe, and you underscored that fact. Was there research to show that it's safe? I mean, I know a doctor, and I know you know this, so that's why I'm asking. Yeah. Uh, th-
2: there is, there's extensive data on this, and uh, you know, I have four kids that have all gotten the vaccine. Um, really, the benefits of it, um, significant reduction in lifetime cancers, and we are talking earlier, you know, when a, when a baby is little and they're getting vaccines that prevent childhood illnesses, polio, rubella, measles, with the outbreaks we've got now, it's really easy to understand that, it's harder to understand getting a shot as a teenager or even now as an adult that's going to prevent something 30, 40, 50 years down the road. Yeah. But it's significant. Ninety-one percent reduction of cervical cancer. Ninety-nine uh, percent of people get their full vaccinations. So it's, it's a great vaccine for people to get.
0: So were you surprised when they changed the recommendations on the age recommendations?
2: I never understood why they had a limit to begin with. Ah. Because even if you've been exposed, and again we've talked several times about the number of people exposed to HPV, even if you've been exposed to one of the nine strains that are in the the vaccine, you still get benefit from the other eight strains. So there's a lot of reason to get the vaccine even if you've had exposure to the HPV, which again, the majority of us have had through our lifetime.
0: Yeah. So what do you say to parents who may be concerned about it or who may be on the fence wondering whether this is something that they should do?
2: Well, I think as you talked with Sarah, it's educate yourself, ask questions, uh, base your decisions on on science and, and modern medicine and not myths or things you don't understand. One of the problems we fight as doctors every day is there's a large amount of information on the internet and there's a large, a lot of, a large amount of bad information on the internet. But people take that as gospel because they read it on the internet. So I direct them to good uh, sources and resources on the internet or, or information that we have in the office.
0: And that's a good point. I want to talk about that after the break. Got to take a break. Stay with us back in a moment. Welcome back to the Pulse of St. Louis. Tonight we're talking about the HPV vaccine. People 45 years old or younger are now encouraged to get vaccinated. And Dr. Lieberman, before we went to break, we were talking about where people get their research information. And I have to admit, I'm one of those people, I'll go online and I'll Google this, that, and the other. So when you are looking for information about HPV, is there any place you can go to get real information
2: well i think there's some credible sites and i think webmd does a fairly decent job um, the site i recommend people to is is uh, american college of obstetrics and gynecology or acog dot org which is our professional website i'm sure there's a pediatric one that does the yes. same and there's information for patients on the website you don't have to be a physician to remember Uh, and there's an area for patients and you you can look up any gynecologic or obstetrical questions it talks about vaccines it talks about cervical cancer Uh, and patients can get that information very easily it's free and it's it's uh, easy to access and it's scientific it's good medical information
0: right dr lackey what about for pediatricians is there any place where parents can go to get information about this vaccine as it relates to their children
2: yes so
1: there's a website um, the aap has a website aap.org Um, And there is also uh, parents um, and also there is a a kids section um, that the kids uh, are um, encouraged to go to to read about. Uh, For vaccine. kids, um, so it's it's uh, patient friendly, um, so that they can wow. read about that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also healthykids.org um, is uh, also a really good uh, website. Really, any website that is um, also the CDC has a uh, a good website. The CDC is a very technical website, though, mm-hmm. um, so it's a, not quite as patient friendly um, as the AAP. Um, but uh, anything that is. Uh, reputable organizations, so ACOG, AAP, um, a lot of the children's hospitals, so um, Cardinal Glennon has uh, a website that has um, lots of things about immunizations on it as well. Um, so any of those big hospitals, big organizations um, will have good information that, that is well thought out. Um, one of the big problems is that people think of it as a new vaccine, um, but we've been giving it for 10 years now, so it's not really new. Um, so that there's a lot of evidence and we have a lot of things that we can um, look for um, because of uh, having that information now for 10 years.
0: So what is the latest research or the newest research in regards to this vaccine?
1: Uh, well, it's a very safe vaccine. Um, as uh, Dr. Lieberman uh, pointed out, um, there is an over 90% reduction In uh, the cervical cancer rate, um, and uh, we we really aren't seeing a lot of uh, bad side effects or no side effects from it, Um, so that it's really almost a win win. Um, You get your two shots, and then you're uh, protected from uh, all kinds of really not very um, great diseases, and bad cancers, and head and neck cancers, um, so that you know we're really. Uh, encouraging people now to, it's not new, there's lots of science, it's working well, there are not a lot of side effects. um, So we're trying to really encourage everybody to get the right information.
0: Yeah, so Sarah, when you find yourself with your group of friends or relatives, do you talk with them about this vaccine? Because I'm that person. If I find some new information that I think is gonna benefit family and friends, I was like, hey, did you hear about this?
3: Yes, I absolutely do. Um, I have nieces and nephews. I have great nieces and nephews. And so we talk about these kinds of things all the time. I want my, I love my family and I want them protected, so. Yeah, so do they ask questions? Are they curious about it or? Um, you know, I think now, as Dr. Lackey alluded to earlier, I think now it's just becoming more and more, it is another vaccine that we're given. So I think um, getting past the myths of, it's the permission slip to have sex at an early age um and then it's just about the safety
0: yeah Mm -hmm.
3: dr lieberman what do you what do you say to parents once they come into the office
0: Excuse me, you're, you're the pediatrician, yes. no. <laughs> I got you mixed you, up you for a talk second, oh, sorry. To. No, 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 to your patients when they come into the office and you're talking about this particular um, vaccine, do you have those conversations with them about it, do you ask them, hey, have you had the um, HPV vaccine or how does that work?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, a lot of the young women we see have already gotten it from their pediatricians because they've done a fairly, you know, very good job actually of getting the, into patients, uh, getting those vaccinations done. Uh, We'd like to see the rates higher, and we do, if patients um, haven't had it and they're under 26 before the new recommendation, we give those in our office as well. We do that for young women. Uh, With the new recommendations, we're going to start having discussions, again, once the vaccinations become available, as we don't have issues with the insurance. The first couple years of giving the vaccine to to younger patients was difficult because not all the insurers covered it. Uh, Every time we gave the vaccination, we had to check, and it was a series of three shots for older patients. So we had to check with every single shot whether they had insurance coverage for it or not. That's gotten a lot easier now, but I, I kind of foresee that happening with the 26 to 45 year olds. So it's one of those things we're gonna to have to cross that bridge when we get there. Uh, there's not a lot of information in the, in the media yet as far as, that's where we're here today, but as far as those older people getting the vaccination. And I think there's going to be different discussions at that point uh, when that happens. How,
0: how so? How would the conversation be different?
2: Well, first of all, identifying people who haven't gotten the vaccination. And one of the, one of the issues is not a problem. When someone younger gets it, they may not know, they may not know that they got the HPV vaccine. Uh, but as we get the, the 26 to 45-year-olds coming in, finding out who's got it or not, and then having the discussions with them, and that's a matter of giving them information and education and uh, and then giving them the vaccines if they're ready for it.
0: So, Dr. Lackey, is there like a check checklist when you talk with parents who bring their children in? Do you go down the list of, of immunizations and vaccines to make sure they've had the HPV? I mean, how do you do that?
1: Yeah, so it's nice now that uh, everything's electronic. So um, there are definitely recommendations from the AAP and the ACIP and the CDC of what vaccinations you're to give it each age so that um, the nice thing is when we check in the computer a lot of times the computer flags it um, my medical assistant says oh you know they've only gotten one HPV or it may be another vaccine um, that got missed especially patients that um, switch providers you know insurance Uh, coverage changes so sometimes this may be a new patient um, for me so one of the things that we have to do is to get uh, the records from the uh, previous doctor and make sure that everything got entered correctly Um, so it it is a little bit of a challenge um, because there's not one clearinghouse where all vaccines are entered into uh, the same uh, computer program Um, but we check and make sure and sometimes uh, maybe your checkup is two days before your uh, six-month visit So we say, you know, we're going to get you with your flu shot or we'll get you next year or, um, you know, come in in a week for um, a vaccine only visit. Um, So that way we can make sure that they don't fall through the cracks.
0: What's being done in terms of messaging to make sure people are getting the word about this new recommendation? Uh,
1: Well, we have some uh, handouts in our office. We offer it at every um, checkup visit. Um, And now we're starting to even... look for vaccines at sick visits. So you come in for your sinus infection, it's nice, the electronic medical records, um, you know, it can search easily and look at your vaccines and say, oh, you know, you're due for your 11-year-old vaccines, Uh, you're due for your checkup. um, So that it really can pull those things out where we wouldn't have really talked about vaccines when you're in for your cough and cold or um, influenza you know which is uh, really uh, uh, an unfortunately popular um, uh, thing to get right now <laughs> um, and uh, so that we know that oh, We need to schedule you to come back if you're too sick or, hey, you just have a little cold today. You want to get your HPV while you're here? Um, And you know, a lot of people, um, the convenience of, I don't have to come back, Um, so I don't have to schedule a special trip for that. Um, I'm here, you know, and most of the parents are like, yep, shoot them up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Get it it done. Get it done. Yeah. Yeah. Get it. Get it done. Uh, I mean, I have a a significant number of patients that whatever the doctor recommends, I'm going to get. And then I have another subset of patients that really want the information. Um, You know, they want to have a discussion with the doctor. But I do have a lot of patients that um, just want me to say, do this. Um, and, and they're happy, happy to uh, trust my professional right. opinion. This, this is what we do. Um, so our, our main goal is to keep children healthy and to grow up and be happy, healthy adults, and send them on to Dr. Lieberman and uh, bring the babies back to me. <laughs> <laughs> there
0: you go. I like that. Put a bow on it. Thank you. Thank you all so much for being here. I'm it. when we come back, we're going to talk with an attorney who is working to prevent. A St. Louis County mom from being deported back to Honduras. Stay with us back in a moment. Welcome back to the Pulse of St. Louis. You know, a St. Louis County woman is in jail facing deportation back to Honduras. 48-year-old Ilsa Guzman Fajardo has been in the U.S. illegally for 20 years. And most of that time, she has been living right here in St. Louis. But that could soon change. Joining me now, Evita Tolu. She is Guzman's attorney. And thank you so much for being here Fill me in, Evita, and tell me, how did Ilsa get into the country? Uh, Elsa came to the United
4: States in November of 1999, and she presented herself at the border uh, near San Diego. At that point, she asked for political asylum and was directed to proceed to St. Louis and also instructed to complete uh, an application for temporary protected status. And that's how she ended up in St. Louis. Why was she seeking political asylum? Uh, I guess um, some of her family members um, experienced uh, persecution in the home country of Honduras. She was afraid for her own safety and for the safety of her family. And that brought her to the San Diego
0: border. And so what happened during that time? I mean, at what point did she present to try to file the necessary paperwork to stay in the country?
4: As soon as she arrived uh, she was processed through the checkpoint and she was granted uh, paperwork to um, appear at an immigration hearing. Unfortunately the paperwork said that the date to be announced and the time to be announced. So she was informed that she will be receiving another letter in the mail when she needs to appear uh, for her hearing. When she arrived to St. Louis as she was instructed she filed petition for temporary protected status which was available at that point to uh, citizens of Honduras and um, she was waiting for her temporary protected status but down the road it turned out that she applied late and she missed the deadline by one month
0: so because she missed the deadline by one month what happened
4: nothing happened she just did not receive a temporary protected status but that that time she received the social security number she was eligible to apply for driver's license and she started her life in St. Louis community. And like, what was she doing? Uh, she was working and uh, her most recent job was working for a nursing home as a care assistant. And she paid her taxes? She, and she paid did. her taxes, filed them every year, uh, in fact had three jobs at the same time, um, was responsible citizen, resident of our community. Um, Here in St. Louis she had a son who was born um, the same year in 2000. And somehow in 2014 she learned that she was summoned to the immigration court. And in fact, um, an order of deportation was entered um, in her absence. And that took place in 2001 in January. As soon as she learned about it, she presented herself to the immigration authorities. She was uh, immediately placed on an ankle bracelet. And at that point, the immigration authorities decided that they would allow her to remain in the country because she had a minor son who is a U.S. citizen. Um, The condition of her stay was that she would check in with ICE office on a monthly basis, and they would visit uh, two her place at home and check um, that she's still in St. Louis. And that's what she's done through uh, last summer, 2018.
0: So tell me about her efforts and what exactly did she do to try to stay in the country during all of this time? Well, up until 2014, she was trying to figure out when is her
4: asylum case is going to be heard and she contacted United States Citizenship Services and she contacted various uh, Latino agencies trying to get some help to help her find her case and in inquiring why isn't she called to court um, also it's notice- notable to mention that when she applied for temporary protected status uh, USCIS and ICE there were just one big organization INS So she informed them about her address as early as spring of 2001. They did know about her address, but no one ever bothered to send her a letter and tell her, look, you have a court coming up, be in court and present your your own case. So that's how she missed it. Um, She tried and she waited and she called, but USCIS is such a huge organization, and if you call 1-800 number, you're unsophisticated. You can spend an hour on the phone without getting to a human being.
0: Yeah.
4: So um, once she learned about deportation order, she couldn't do anything. Because if you have a prior deportation order against you, you're precluded from all sorts of immigration relief in 2018 when she got married to Steve who is a United States citizen that created an opening basically if you have significant ties to the community here in the United States and you're a person of good moral character you can petition the immigration court to reopen your case and then she had the chance to get processed through her husband's application
0: so she is incarcerated right now where is. is she in jail
4: uh, she is as, as of this morning in Pulaski County Illinois and how is she doing she's very sad she's distraught she's crying she misses her family her husband and her son
0: when was the last time you had any conversations with her and what were those conversations about if you can reveal any of that information?
4: I talked to her this morning mm-hmm. um, and actually her husband was at my office as well and Um, yesterday she was pressured pretty much to engage in self-deportation and um, she contacted me and I told her not to sign any paperwork and not to assist herself in being uh, self-deported so and this morning I just wanted to stress once again to her that she cannot do anything to help herself to be deported because I'm gonna fight for her rights here in the United States and it's easy for me to fight for her if she is here it's going to be so much harder to bring her back from Honduras if she is
0: deported so what have you done um, in terms of fighting have you filed any motions with the court walk me through that process and give me a sense of what's taken place
4: uh, the day she was um, arrested by ICE on February 12th the following day I filed motion to rescind with the San Diego immigration court because that's where the original order of deportation in absentee was issued. So I had to go back to the same court when not in Kansas City, although the state of Missouri belongs to Kansas City Immigration Court. But because the order was issued in San Diego, that's where I went. And currently this uh, motion is pending uh, with San Diego Immigration Court. I would like to file additional motions, um, motion to reopen. Uh, and I'm working uh, on this motion right now as
0: we speak. And then will that motion, once the court gets it, will it resolve this case? It might, but it would be a miracle.
4: Uh, Usually on a lower level, I do not expect any cooperation from immigration judges. Pretty much uh, those decisions are always denials, but then we'll have to proceed to the Board of Immigration Appeals. And if the board signs, I guess, aligns with the judge, then we'll go to the Ninth Circuit.
0: So she'll be held in custody while you're filing all these motions and talking with the court?
4: Um, No, I would like to get that resolved. uh, But my first step is, of course, to file the sufficient documents with the court in San Diego to get the process rolling. And then I will approach the same court for a motion for bond or at least to allow Elsa again to be um, on an ankle bracelet.
0: Okay, got to take a break. Stay with us back in a moment. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to The Pulse of St. Louis. Tonight, we're discussing the case of Elsa Guzman. She is a St. Louis County woman who is behind bars and facing deportation to Honduras after being in the U.S. illegally for 20 years. And we are talking with Evita Tolu, Guzman's immigration attorney. And Evita, you were saying that this is an unusual case. Absolutely. Tell me, why is it so unusual?
4: Well, um it's unusual because when Elsa Guzman came to the United States and presented herself at the border she did it the right way she came through the checkpoint she asked for asylum all in accordance with the US immigration law Uh, unfortunately she was not given a proper notice to show up in court and she did not understand the magnitude of what was happening at that point at the border and how important it was for her to be actually uh, looking for her court date, waiting for her court date and being very proactive. On the other hand, I can understand we've fleeing persecution and your family is in danger. This is not what you think at the border. So Ilse Guzman also applied for temporary protected status. As soon as you know, she arrived to St. Louis and she followed the instruction of the government officials to the T. When she learned about the deportation order, she presented herself to the authorities and complied with all their requests. She spent in this country 20 years and because of the prior order of deportation, she is not eligible for what we call consolation of removal. Basically, people who stayed in the United States for 10 years and who are people of good moral character are eligible to apply for cancellation of removal and seek residency in the United States. Because of the defective notice, Ilsa does not have this chance. That's why it's so important to rescind her um, an absentee order of deportation to give uh, her this opportunity. She resided in the United States long enough and she is a person of good moral character, She is a taxpayer, she belongs to a church, to St. Louis community, she's married to a United States citizen, and she has a United States citizen son. So all the equitable factors are in her favor. That's why this case is unusual, she's not a criminal, she's just a wonderful asset to our St. Louis community, and that's why
0: I feel compassionate about her case. All right, got to take a break. Final thoughts are up next. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Evita, just give me a sense of how optimistic are you about this case? I'm very optimistic.
4: I think we have very good case law on our side, and there is a very established, large precedent uh, when it comes to reopening cases with deportation order and absentia. So, Now that I'm involved in Ilsa's case, I'm gonna fight for her till the day she can stay in the United States with her family. Why are you fighting so hard? I'm a former immigrant. I know how she feels. I know how daunting and complicated the system is. And I know she got lost in the system and I just need to help this family. It breaks my heart
0: to see them in pain and in suffering. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And thank you for joining us for the Pulse of St. Louis. Remember, if you missed any part of the show, download the Pulse of St. Louis podcast in the iTunes or Google Play stores. And remember, for News 24-7, download the News 11 app. And for news during the week, be sure to watch News 11 at noon, 4 and 7. I will see you next time.